with his fourth championship and first finals MVP under his belt, there's no denying the fact that Steph Curry is one of the greatest players of his generation. The question now becomes, with some increased hardware in his trophy case, how should we view the trajectory of his career and how should our perspective on his accomplishments change? Meanwhile, for Jason Tatum and the Celtics, they were finally successful in conquering their nemesis in finding a way to win the Eastern Conference and ascend to the NBA's highest stage. However, when they got there, their inexperience showed. So, how do we leverage a good playoff run and make it great next year? For some answers on how the finals unfolded and what to expect as we head and transition into the offseason, I enlisted the expertise of my friend Mark Medina, an NBA reporter for both NBA.com and NBA TV, who joined me to discuss the NBA Finals aftermath of 2022 and so much more. I'm Kevin McShann, led to this conversation. So, Mark, if you're ready, I'll take a moment to welcome you to the program, and I'm super excited to talk to you about what happened in the NBA Finals and a little bit about what will transpire this offseason. Great to see you this morning, and thank you for getting up early for me, buddy. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, when we look at the NBA Finals, Mark, tell me, when we look at uh, Steph Curry and what he was able to accomplish, accomplished winning his first uh, finals MVP and his fourth ring. Tell me, how do you think we should view the trajectory of his career now with his fourth, uh, fourth ring and first uh, finals MVP? Well, I think the fourth championship ring means a lot more uh, to Steph Curry and his legacy than a finals MVP does. I mean, he hadn't gotten a finals MVP up to this point, but I think when the history of the game is being written, uh, it's going to be more about Steph Curry's impact in the game and the championships he's won, the shooting records he's set, than any individual accolade. So it's a nice cherry on the Sunday. I think the bigger thing is about the championship because the more rings you get, the higher you climb up in the trajectory as far as the player comparisons and where you rank in league history. And I think it also offers a window into the Warriors' chances of you know their ability to get multiple championships in the next few years that remains to be seen but you know i think as the warriors showed this year you can't count them out and i think that they're going to have as long as steph curry and clay thompson and draymond green remain healthy 
through the prime years of their career, they're always going to be in the running to, to hoist another Larry O'Brien trophy. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, going into this finals, I thought Boston was the better team, but they certainly didn't play that way. And if you look at the Warriors, this is certainly not the most talented team they've had to get to the finals. But uh, so would you uh, categorize this as one of their more improbable championships? Well, I think it's all relative. Um, look, this wasn't a scrub team. They had Steph Curry, Draymond Green, and Clay Thompson, a lot of great depth, good role players, both young and veterans. But, you know, compared to the Kevin Durant years when it, it felt like it was a cheat code for the NBA and they were predestined to win the NBA championship, yes, this is the most improbable run. I think there's a lot of parallels to their first championship in 2015 where – you know, they were seen as a team that could contend for a title, but it wasn't a surefire thing. The common denominator is Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. But I think what's different is obviously while the, all those three players are a lot more experienced, they also had to deal with different injuries this season. And when you look at the rest of the supporting cast, you know, Warriors coach Steve Kerr had often mentioned that it reminded him of the strength and numbers identity. But that identity was different. In the 2015 year, it was a heavy dose of Andre Iguodala coming off the bench and a lot of veteran players that could help fulfill positional needs as well as mentor the Warriors' young stars. And here the identity shifted a little bit. Andre Iguodala is still on the team, but he's taken a reduced role because of his injuries, because of his age. And they have a mix of young and veteran players that can still fulfill positional needs but have received mentorship from the Warrior Stars. So uh, I think all things considered, this is the most improbable run, but I think you have to keep in context of comparing it to the Warriors dynasty years with Kevin Durant and their first year where, you know, you had a young Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, Draymond Green. Yeah, absolutely. And Mark, when we look at the totality of the series, buddy, what would you consider the turning point? Yeah, there could have been a lot of turning points, but I think the main turning point was that Steph Curry performance uh, when the Warriors were down 2-1 in Game 4 in Boston. I mean, he just delivered a masterpiece. I think that his, that is, of all the Steph Curry performances, that's even his best one. And I think when you look at the game within the game there, uh, Steve Kerr also had to make some tough decisions uh, with benching Draymond at certain por- parts of the fourth quarter because he just wasn't playing his best basketball, both on offense and defense. And that was a real pivotal point in the game. And to Draymond's credit, as much as he was frustrated with that, uh, he was ready to make key plays when Steve Kerr threw him back in toward the end of the game. So I think when you combine the fact that, you know, the Warriors were able to tie the series 2-2, get a road win in Boston to reclaim home court, and you had Steph Curry playing at his best, and Draymond, you know, being able to, handle the best of a tough situation and Steve Kerr showing the coaching chops of not being afraid to make that tough decision. I think that was the main turning point, the proofs in the pudding. They went on to win game five, went on to win game six. Um, so I think that's, you know, really remark, uh, a mark of a, a really resilient championship organization. Yeah, absolutely. Now, as switching gears to Boston, the other uh, team in the series, Although, although they didn't win 
Uh, Jason Tatum did have a historically good playoff run, getting them uh, through the Eastern Conference. And Boston as a whole is still a really good team. So how do you think we view uh, Jason Tatum now as a superstar status type player, even though he didn't win uh, the championship? And did you still consider this a successful season for the Celtics? Well, uh, the successful season or unsuccessful look, the Celtics are about winning championships, but I think relative to where they were before, they definitely turned a corner. They weren't able to get past the Eastern Conference Finals. They entered the season with question marks on if they could even be a contender and if it was good to continue to invest in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown as a whole. Uh, and also, Ime Adoka was a, a first-year head coach. So I think given the circumstances of the beginning of the season, it is successful. They've come a long way, and I don't think that their championship window is shut. Um, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are still young in their mid-20s. Uh, as much as they do have experience, uh, I think there, you, there's obviously a, a room to grow with them and Marcus Smart, as well as, you know, what the Celtics do with their supporting cast. But that being said, I think Jason Tatum showed that there's still time needed for him to be considered a superstar. He's an all-star player, but he's not a superstar. Superstars uh, players are able to have dominant performances on a consistent basis. That's not to say that you can't ever have a subpar game. All these players are human, but you know, I think what Jason Tatum showed is that there's kind of uh, you're not quite sure what you're going to get. Uh, out of him and you know in the finals that you know the stage was pretty big with that that being said I think Jason Tatum can grow into becoming a superstar and he also has made steady growth in the last few years where he's not just a high volume shooter he's evolved as a passer and I think the comforting thing for the Celtics is Jason Tatum is about the right things he has a good work ethic he's a student of the game he wants to do the right things as far as making the right basketball play he just has to put all those consistent uh, things together. But at this point in time, not a superstar yet. He's an all-star, but, you know, he has uh, still plenty of years ahead of him to get to that superstar level. Yeah, I have a question about the playoffs just very quickly before we move on to the offseason. Do you think uh, this playoff run as a whole taught us anything about the future of the league and how – uh, we may be playing basketball in the future. Yeah, I think the NBA playoffs, like there were some blowouts and, you know, I think specifically with the Celtics and Heat series, there were some ugly games to watch. But I think to the question that you're talking about with the future of the league, I think that it showed that both the present and future is bright. The present right now is that the Warriors have shown that their championship window hasn't shut. Their ratings draw, Steph Curry has done amazing things as far as, you know, not just changing the game, but really increasing interest in the games themselves. But there's also a handful of star, uh, young stars that are going to continue to get better when you're looking at Jason Tatum or Luka Doncic. Giannis Antetokounmpo has already reached that stage, winning a NBA championship and a finals MVP last season, but, you know, he has a whole uh, another years ahead of him. So uh, I think when you combine that with the fact that the Clippers are expected to be fully healthy with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, 
And, uh, you know, as much as there are question marks about the Lakers and LeBron James, um, the fact that LeBron is going to enter his 20th season next season, I think there's a lot of things both in the current moment and in the future that should leave uh, the NBA pretty uh, satisfied. And the bottom line is their ratings increased. I know that it hasn't, you know, exactly reached pre-pandemic levels, but it definitely was an increase to what we saw in the bubble and last season. And I think when you account for the fact that, you know, when you're looking at these ratings numbers, that a lot of it has to do with kind of external circumstances with the age of cord cutting, people watching uh, with streaming. And, you know, I think particularly at this point in time, because, you know, we're in the post pandemic, so to speak, where there's a lot more travel there, there, that probably played a factor in the ratings, not even being as high as, it could have been in the finals, but it was still a heavy draw. And I think the bottom line is that the league is very healthy and, um, you know, there's a lot of interest overall, both nationally and globally. Yeah, uh, just very quickly, Lord, tell me what uh, in terms of other offseason storylines will you be watching, watching for Buddy, whether it be what happens with Russell Westbrook or Kyrie Irving or anything any like yeah, honestly, I think those are the two main storylines. Kyrie Irving and Russell Westbrook, can both teams pull off a trade? And if so, to where? And what are the players or draft picks that they get in return? And they're such divisive players for different reasons. Kyrie Irving, he's an amazing talent, but there's been questions about his availability. Last season about the vaccine mandate and other seasons about his injuries as well as just his willingness to show up. Sometimes he would take uh, time off, you know, without really asking for permission from the team. There's also questions about his leadership. And uh, then I think on the other side of the coin, ironically, Russell Westbrook has been a very durable and available player, but his style of play has not meshed well with the Lakers. And I think, you know, given the demands with today's NBA with three-point shooting and perimeter defense, he hasn't been able to show a willingness to, tap into those areas so yeah very intriguing and those are the two main storylines i'm going to be paying attention to uh does kyrie irving and west westbrook wind up on another team do they stay put either scenario there's gonna be a lot of fascinating questions about what their season will look like next season yeah and the draft is this Thursday, but i so i'll ask you uh, just finally to comment on what you're expecting to see there and you know, you know, I live here in Windsor, Ontario, Canada, which is right across the river from Detroit and not too far away from Toronto. So tell me how you look at those two off-seasons and the draft as a whole. What, what are you most looking forward to? Yeah, well, like with any draft, it's always unpredictable how many trades there will be on draft night and what the draft order will be. I think that there's an expectation that you know, Jamari Smith, Chet Holgren, uh, Paolo Banchero, or Jaden Ivey. Those are probably the projected top four picks, but, you know, you can flip it at any order. So we don't know what's going to happen. And then after the top four, it really seems wide open. It's a um, crab shoot, isn't it? I'm sorry? I said it's a bit of a crab shoot, isn't it? it? It is. And that's how most NBA drafts are, but you know, I think in this specific draft, there's not a definitive number one. There's kind of a feeling of, you know, a top three, but in any order, and then everything else is kind of up for grabs. But I think that being said, there's a lot of intrigue with Chet Holmgren specifically because, um, 
there's a lot of mixed feelings about his potential. On one hand, you know, he's an amazing shooter. He's a great ball handler. He's a great defender. Uh, he almost kind of epitomizes what you would want in a big guy in today's NBA. But the reality is he doesn't uh, – he only weighs 195 pounds. That's not big for a big guy. And so I think there's questions about can he adapt immediately to the physical nature of the NBA. And for most rookies, that's uh, always a process regardless of how big you are. But I think given his makeup and what his skill set is as a player – and the fact that, you know, whichever team drafts him, they're going to be viewing him as their linchpin to turn their season around. There are questions about, you know, how ready is he immediately. So it, it'll be interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And just very quickly, tell me, I, I think the Pistons are in an interesting spot at number five. So what do you expect Detroit to do in the draft? Well, as I was saying before, after the top three, I think everything's up for grabs. But I know a lot of back, uh, mock drafts, uh, you know, mentioned Shaden Sharp as a possibility from Kentucky. You know, maybe he could complement Cade Cunningham really well in the backcourt. But, you know, it remains to be seen uh, what the Pistons do or for that matter, what any team after number four does. Uh, you know, the Kings, for example, they have the fourth pick. And there's some intrigue about, you know, will they use – that fourth pick to draft someone or will they lump that into a trade? Uh, you know, given the, the fact that the Kings haven't made the playoffs since 2006, they just hired Mike Brown as a head coach. And there's been a lot of, I think, unsettled feelings in the organization about, you know, their struggles the last few years. They seem to be kind of in one now mode. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. And very quickly, Mark, tell me if people – when I get connected with a good work session, buddy, what's uh, the best way they can do that? Yeah, well, I work for NBA.com, so you can follow my work there. My Twitter handle is Mark G underscore Medina. I also do a lot of TV work with NBA TV and Spectrum Sportsnet here in Los Angeles, as well as with Fox Sports. And I also do some uh, work with Fox Sports Radio. So uh, there's a there's a lot of avenues uh, that, that listeners and uh, NBA fans can follow my work. Fabulous, Mark. I know how busy your schedule is, buddy, so I really appreciate a few minutes and for you engaging in conversation with me, buddy. It's most appreciated. Well, Kevin, I appreciate you reaching out. It was great talking NBA with you.